Good morning. Welcome again to the live stream for South Suburban Christian Church. We're glad that you're with us today. We are excited. We're beginning a new series, Begin Again. Uh, it's a, a series through the letter of 1 John. So John has written the gospel, but he also wrote three letters, as well as the book of Revelation. And we're going to be looking at 1 John. So that's sort of near the back of your New Testament. If you have your Bibles, you'll want to begin looking for 1 John. We'll be reading that together uh, in just a few moments. I know that for a lot of people, Easter is over and everybody's looking forward to summer. Well, for that matter, some folks have even started thinking about Christmas. By the way, Christmas is, I think, 251 days away. And the only reason I know that is as I have four kids. But in the church, Easter is actually more than just a day. It is a season, 50 days. The first 40 days of Easter go from the resurrection of Jesus to the ascension, when Jesus ascended and took his place at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And then 10 days after that, we, we sort of continue in the, in the Easter season after ascension, 10 more days to Pentecost, uh, which is the, uh, that's actually a Jewish holiday that is also a Christian holiday. For Jews, it's the celebration of the gift of the law. For Christians, it is the celebration of the gift of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, the birthday of the church, and we'll talk more about that when we get to that season. So this is really still Easter for the church. We're in the season of Easter. So we're continuing to think about uh, resurrection. We're thinking about begin again, beginning again. Over the next five weeks, uh, including today, uh, we're going to be walking through the letter of 1 John, as I've said, and uh, this series entitled Begin Again is one that is really exciting for me. I mean, um, we're, well, m most of you probably know that beginning on the first Sunday of May, which is May 2nd, uh, we're going to resume in-person worship here at South Suburban Christian Church. We'll continue to have our live stream like we have it now. And we're looking forward to, to when we can actually live stream the actual worship service, uh, which we think will be later in the summer, early fall, by September, hopefully, um, when the expectations are that all of the restrictions uh, during this COVID will be lifted. So we're excited about that. We're excited about relaunching in many ways South Suburban Christian Church. We're, uh, be, we're, you're going to hear more about this at, uh, uh, in a mailing, at our town halls that are coming up if you're active here at South Suburban. Uh, we're, we're doing a worship center upgrade in order to get the equipment that we need to actually live stream. Uh, it's exciting. Uh, it's going to be about 540000 but by the grace of God, we've already raised $250,000 just in a few weeks. Uh, thank you, thank you for your support. We'd love to have all of you involved, and, and, and no matter how much you can give, if you could just make a contribution, uh, however big or small, to support uh, this upgrade so that we can continue doing this ministry, that we can continue sharing the gospel not only within the walls of our church building, but also to uh, all of those who join us here online. Um, we pray that uh, God will continue to work and bless this ministry. We're excited about the number of people who've come into our church uh, uh, through this uh, online service um, and uh, for, from places beyond Denver. Many of our shut-ins have said we're so excited that we can actually come to church again. And we have enjoyed welcoming and being and reconnecting with folks over this past year, and we don't want to leave those folks behind. So that's why we're doing this. 
we, we, we want to um, be a church where everyone is welcomed, even if they can't physically be here. I know that is uh, something that excites you too, and I pray uh, that if you are led by God's Spirit that you would make a contribution. Uh, you can go to our webpage at southsuburban.com uh, and click on the Give button, and at the drop-down menu there is Worship Center Upgrades. Send a check. Uh, if you have any questions, you can call the church office and we'll answer them. And, and uh, we want to be completely transparent about all of this. But we're excited about what God is doing. And we really want every single one of you to participate in this. No matter how small the gift, we want every single person at South Suburban to rally together as we are the church of Jesus Christ. As we begin again, as in-person worship resumes, as this new ministry online continues as we look at the opportunities God is giving us. So, so that really is the, the, the motivation for this series. Uh, as you know, it seems that uh, folks are getting more comfortable as the horrific year that we've gone through together is in the past or soon to be in the past, we are excited and we want to begin again. I hope now that you've found uh, 1 John uh, let, let's read that together. First John chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to be reading through chapter 2, verse 2. So John's writing here. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Are we writing these things so that our joy may be complete? This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now that's a great scripture to begin our series today. May God add his blessing and his understanding to this, the reading of his holy and perfect word. Amen. The first point that I want to share with you this morning is, is that uh, to begin again is a time, as, uh, as we, we begin this journey together, is a time to be reminded that God came to us in the flesh to redeem us. Now, I want to give you a little bit of background <coughs> of First John. First of all, if you are um, reading uh, books together in, in your own daily discipline, uh, I would really encourage you to read the Gospel of John first, 
And then this letter of 1 John is the perfect next letter, the next statement uh, that John is, uh, is giving us from his gospel to these letters. In many ways, 1 John is sort of a brief summary of the entire gospel. The, the essential truths that are in the gospel of John are also found almost completely in John's first letter. Um, what John is seeking to do in all of his letters, uh, but specifically 1 John here, is telling us that the only way to have fellowship with God and with one another is through Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God who has come in the flesh, who shed His blood for us and rose again from the dead bodily to give us eternal life. That is an essential truth for John in this letter here. We have fellowship with God and with one another only through the incarnate, that is, as the God who took upon himself flesh, Jesus Christ, the proclaimed word of life, John says specifically in these first few sentences of this letter, and that that word of life, that enfleshed God, if you will, is Jesus Christ. And that is the beginning of the epistle. John announces this theme in, in, in the first opening lines of, of, of his letter, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now, John's not talking about the, the essence of what it means to live life in, 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 in the faith. He's not talking about the blessings of God. He is talking specifically here about Jesus Christ, the person. It is Jesus Christ who was from the beginning. It was Jesus Christ whose voice they actually heard with their ears. It is Jesus Christ that they saw with their eyes, that they looked upon, that they touched with his hands. You'll remember last week when Pastor Joe was preaching about Thomas, how Thomas was invited to touch the body, the risen body, the wounds of Jesus. This is the word of life. Jesus is the word. That goes back to John's gospel. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. Jesus is the word of life. Now, as we begin to unpack this entire letter, I think knowing a little bit about the context of, 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 of when and how John was writing uh, would be helpful. What we know from church history and from other manuscripts that we have that aren't in the Bible, but, but ancient texts and letters that we have, is that around the time Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans, the Roman Empire, which was somewhere around 70 A.D., the Apostle John, one of the twelve disciples of Jesus, left the youngest, left Jerusalem, and moved to the city of Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus is in what was uh, uh, ancient Western Asia Minor. Today it's called Turkey. And uh, by this time, when John's writing this letter, uh, Peter... Uh, the, the disciple who denied Christ and made that great good confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Even Paul, uh, who has written uh, most of the, the epistles of our New Testament, both Peter and Paul are dead now. They have died. They have been martyred. Uh, many of the other apostles are dead. Most historians believe that all of the apostles are dead. Um, uh, by the time John begins to, to write these letters, we know that they're all dead by the time John begins to write the book of Revelation. John is the last one left. He is the only living link to Jesus Christ on planet Earth as 
he begins to pen these words. He's old, somewhere around 80 years old. Remember, he was the youngest disciple, probably in his early teens when he began to follow Jesus. And uh, uh, as he has grown in age and wisdom, uh, as the Romans have tried to kill him and have done so unsuccessfully, tradition tells us, uh, John becomes known as the elder of Asia Minor, the old man, if you will. Uh, it's not by accident that that term elder then becomes one of the offices of the church. Um, he has a strong bond with the churches in Asia Minor. They, they really look to him as a father figure, and he uses that term, my children, a, a, a great deal, uh, which uh, m- many say is the, is the beginning of this understanding of, of how old faith leaders uh, become understood and, and, and respected as, as uh, par- parental figures, as father figures, if you will and how uh, the church is, are, are the children of these revered uh, 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 faith figures. John is the one who models this exactly. Now, it was uh, late in the first century when John writes this. John himself is probably, as I've said, in his 80s. Uh, but he has been busy. He is continuing to teach the pure doctrine of Jesus Christ, the right teaching. That's what the word doctrine means, right teaching. And what's beginning to happen is false teachers are beginning to really thrive in the church. Uh, Paul addresses this a great deal before he dies. And John is sort of left with this grand mess of all of these people who are attracted to the teachings of Jesus. They like what he has to say, but they can't believe in who Jesus is. And so they begin to, 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 to make up things and make up stories and deny that it's the person of Jesus that's important and begin to only say that it's the teachings of Jesus that they ought to be paying attention to. And so they begin drawing off people away from the church and they begin to form their own groups. And we refer to these as heretical groups. But these false teachers generally were influenced by uh, pagan Greek and Roman philosophy uh, and one of the prevailing ideas that was prevalent in Greek and particularly Greek philosophy, which really influenced the Empire of Rome, was that physical matter was evil, that the flesh bad, the spirit good. Now, if you think about it, that kind of false teaching is still prevalent in the church today, that we separate the flesh from the spirit. And the New Testament never does that. And certainly Jesus never does that. As a matter of fact, Jesus unites his divinity with his flesh. And so these false teachers said, you know, this idea that God became flesh can't be right because flesh is always evil. And so uh, the material is bad. We need to get beyond the material, only focus on the spiritual. And what began to happen is is they developed this idea of a supernatural knowledge. And the, uh, uh, the ancient word that was used is, is the word gnosis, where we get Gnostic. And, and one of these false teachers that was very, very popular also lived in Ephesus, the same city that John lived in. And his name was Serentheus. Serentheus taught that the man Jesus was not really God, that, God was, uh, that Jesus was born just like any other normal person with a father and a mother. Uh, he was very smart, very wise. Uh, But at his baptism, the Spirit of God came upon this man, Jesus, and he was able to do miracles and teach about God and so on because of that. 
but that the, that the Spirit of, of God left Jesus before he suffered and died, since, of course, God, from their perspective, can't suffer and die. This is what Serentius taught. And like most heretics, he just couldn't get that God and man together, God and human together, and the one man, Jesus Christ. How could God become human? How could God come in the flesh? How could God suffer and die and rise from the dead bodily? Uh, that didn't make any sense to Serentius. Uh, I've told you before that the resurrection wasn't strange to the Greeks. They all believed in spiritual resurrection. What was stunning to them was is that Christianity declared that Jesus was bodily raised. That was what they couldn't get beyond. And so Serentius uh, began to really amass a huge following of people teaching this false teaching that Jesus uh, wasn't really God. Now John, that old apostle, that old elder, who had been with Jesus, he knew better. And that's why he begins his letter with those words. Only a flesh and blood, God in the flesh, Jesus, who is Christ Himself, the eternal Son of God, only this Jesus could be the Savior who saves us from our sins. It isn't by us ascending to a higher spiritual understanding of ourselves. It's not by uh, conditioning our mind or being spiritual only that saves us. No, it is Jesus Christ who saves us. The heavenly Son of God who descended to us who took on our physical flesh, who suffered, who died, who shed His blood for us. That is how we are saved. It is Jesus who saves us. It's not we who save ourselves. It's not by us being super spiritual beings or attaining some higher level of secret knowledge. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all of our sin. And I've said this before, see, our faith, the Christian faith, is different than any other religion on planet Earth because every religion will tell you how you can get to God. Christianity teaches us how God came to us. The second thing that I want to share with you today is to begin again is a reminder that in order to defend what we believe, we need to know what we believe. My wife and I are reading a book, Climbing Parnassus, and uh, there's a, it, it's about uh, classical education, and, and in it he says that in this uninstructed society that we live in, we find that uh, education not only needs to be defended, it needs to be defined. And I, I was reading that, and it just, just stunned me, because that's ex the ex exact situation we find the Christian faith in today. That in an uninstructed world, where so many of us only have maybe one hour a week to devote to the studying of the revealed Word of God, that we are finding ourselves in a culture where we talk so much about defending the faith, and most of us can't even define the faith. As we begin again, we will find ourselves as the church confronted with a very real challenge. And I believe this is the essence of what God is calling His church to in the next 10, 20 50 years in the next century i pray that when you and i have turned to dust those who have risen to serve and lead the church hundreds of years from now will look back at this moment following this pandemic 
and will say that was the time when the church realized that it not only needed to defend the faith, it needed to define it. And not with some new definition, because 1 John shares with us the essential definition of the faith of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is a time for the church of Jesus Christ to commit itself to studying and becoming completely familiar in inculcating God's Word into our daily life. This is the opportunity for us to begin again. Over the last couple of decades, over the last couple of centuries, we have found ourselves placating to culture, to be more acceptable to culture, to, to, to adapt to culture, so that culture would like us enough to come be with us. And we have defended that by saying, well, well, we just want the opportunity to share Jesus with them. And slowly what has happened is we have become, well, a, a service industry, a hospitality industry. And don't get me wrong, that's hospitality and, and service are spiritual gifts, but they're not the end-all and be-all of who the body of Christ is. To begin again, we are being called to define for ourselves, to, to, to be able to, to, to recover, is a better way, to recover the definition of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now history tells us that that old man John, that old elder John, strongly opposed the heresies of the false teacher Serentius. There's actually writings where the two of them wrote against each other. As a matter of fact, there's a story that goes on that Serentius uh, and John found themselves in a public building together, and John left the building immediately. And when he was asked why, he said, because Serentius is in there, and I was afraid the building would fall down. Well, you can tell there was no love lost between the two. But the difference is, is that John had walked and talked with Jesus. And this seems, this confrontation between this false teaching, this confrontation between everybody saying, well, that doesn't make sense. That gospel you're preaching to us, John, doesn't make sense to our worldly understanding, to our Greek philosophical ideas. You've got to change it so that it fits us. And John says, I'm not going to do it. Because I was with Jesus. I know who He was. I know who He is. I touched Him. I heard His voice. You see, he's writing to the churches in and around Ephesus, and he's warning them of the false teachings that are going on around Christ. And he explains how this is harmful, how they're divisive to the fellowship with God and within the church. He, I, I've already read that, that phrase when I started out. I'll, I'll read it again. You can't get too much Bible. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. Jesus was made manifest. And we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That is Jesus. Jesus who was with the Father. Jesus who was made manifest with Him. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Fellowship through the Word of life. We have fellowship with God 
and with one another only through the incarnate and proclaimed word of life. John had been with Jesus throughout his ministry. He'd been there at the cross. It was, Jesus, it was John to whom Jesus said, this is my mother, now she's your mother. Mother, this is your son now. John took care of Jesus' mother after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. John had been there when the disciples, with the disciples on Easter evening when he heard the risen Lord come into the room and say, Peace be with you. John saw Christ's hands and his side where the nails had gone in and the spear was thrust. This was a physical, resurrected, flesh and blood Savior. No phantom, no ghost, no hallucination. No, Jesus himself had risen from the dead bodily. Jesus the Christ the same one John had heard and seen throughout his ministry. And John was there also a week later when Jesus came in the midst again, this time with Thomas present. And Jesus spoke his word of peace to them again. And he invited Thomas to touch and see his hands and his side. The text says that Thomas fell to his knees and said, My Lord and my God. John was there for all of that. All of those years earlier, and now he's bearing witness to that truth about Jesus. Contrary to what the false teachers were saying, thinking about Jesus through their philosophical ideas, John is saying that Jesus is indeed God in the flesh, the eternal Son of God. Jesus is the Christ. John starts out his epistle like he starts out his gospel, asserting the divinity of Jesus. In the gospel, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then he says in that gospel, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And now in this epistle, John says the same thing. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the Word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it. John emphasizes that the eternal Son of God who was there in the beginning really did come in the flesh. We apostles were there, John is saying. We saw it with our own eyes. We've touched Him and handled His crucified and His risen body. Those who tell you otherwise, people like Serentheus, they're lying. You will not find life. You will not find fellowship with God by listening to them. It is this crucified and risen Lord that is the light. It is this light that allows us to have fellowship. We have with one another, not through the winning personalities of the preachers and teachers, not through the programs, not through the architecture. You will only receive this life through Christ. Now, John uses the idea of family as a way to talk about this, and it reminded me of what my father used to say. Son, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. The same is true here. You and I are a part of the family of God. And just like when my family would have its family reunions, I mean, my grandparents had, and some of yours may have had more, but my grandparents had 11 children. I don't even know all my cousins, let alone my second cousins. When we go to family reunions, I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of people there that I've never seen before. But the one thing that we do share is we all know that we're descendants of Ernest and Eliza Nicholson. That's what draws us together. 
We know who they are. And because we know who they are, we know who we are. And the same is true with us because we're the family of God. And our connection is through Jesus Christ. We're here with thousands and millions and billions of, of believers throughout the centuries. And we're one together because of Jesus Christ. It's He who has called us together. And we may not know one another, but we know Him. And because we know Him, we know who we are. Because we know who we are, we know who we are together. The third thing that I want to share with you today is beginning again, to begin again, reminds us of our sin and God's love through Jesus Christ. My brothers and my sisters, it takes a flesh and blood Savior, crucified and risen, to rescue sinners like us. You see, that's the problem with Serenius. Serenthius, and, and so many of his modern-day counterparts. They downplay the person of Christ. They, they dismiss his divine and human nature in one person. They, they downplay the work of Christ, his shedding his blood for our sins. They say that wasn't necessary or that wasn't important. Brothers and sisters, I think John would say that these are false teachers, and they rob us of the only life-giving gospel there is. For Serenthius and his ilk hate the idea that we cannot save ourselves. And that is hard for us. To be confronted with the idea that our situation, left to our own, we are without hope. There's no, that, what, no, there, there, there's no level of wisdom or, or knowledge where we can attain a higher level of spirituality that will save us. All of the Serenthiuses, both ancient and modern, hate the idea that it takes the death of God Himself to save us from our sins. They don't want to hear that our sins are that bad. No one wants to hear that they're in that bad of shape, that the God of the universe had to come, us and, come to us and save us. All of us, by nature, want to think of ourselves as not that bad, not that lost. I'm okay, I haven't killed anybody this week. We want to be able to compare ourselves to others, other people, and, and say, see, I'm not as bad as that person is, so I must be okay. People who aren't as smart or as wise or advanced as we are. And yet if we're honest with ourselves, in our, heart, in our hearts, all of us are like Serenthius, thinking that somehow we can do what needs to be done if we only follow the teachings of Jesus dismissing that it is the person of Jesus that saves us. Old Elder John, <laughs> he's a faithful witness who tells us the truth. He tells us that this God in the flesh, Jesus, is the one who gives us life. He tells us that we're sinners, that we're not so advanced, and that we can get to, and, and that, that there's no way that, left to ourselves, we can get to that place where we're without sin. Matter of fact, he says it. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We make God a liar, he says in the last verse of chapter 1. But at the same time, John tells us that God's Son, Jesus Christ, shed His blood for us to cleanse us from our sins. If we confess our sins, John writes, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what it takes to save 
a world of sinners like me and like you. It takes a Savior who, like the Lamb of the Old Testament, shed His blood with you and, uh, for you and me. The whole world was on the mind of Jesus as He stretched His arms out upon that cross. It takes the eternal Son of God dying for us. John says He is the propitiation for our sins. That word literally means that God the Son, Jesus, who Himself received the judgment that is ours, and in doing so, makes us right with God. Jesus Christ satisfies God's justice. Now, risen from the dead, the same Jesus is our advocate in heaven, pleading our case, praying for us right now, so that God declares us not guilty because of what Jesus did. This is what Jesus is doing. This is what Jesus has done. This is what Jesus, through His eternal role, as our high priest will do for us. John says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. My brothers and my sisters, we are about to begin again. A whole different world awaits us. And John reminds us that before we go forward into what God is doing, we need to look back and we need to see that this old, old story is the hope for a new, new world. This is the simple gospel that John staked his life on and that you and I are being called to declare in the world to come. Are you ready? Are you ready to begin again? Amen.